Okay, so this is December 1st, uh, 2019. I'm Dory Kenyon. I'm doing a guest teaching for our interim pastor, Mike Sherrick, which is uh, an honor for me. I really appreciate being asked uh, to do that. Um, let's, uh, let's open up our time with, uh, with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness uh, to us in all things, Lord, that our lives are in your hands, that you have looked upon our need and sent your Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that our sins may be forgiven, that we might know you, our God, as our Heavenly Father, and that we can entrust everything in our lives into your care. Thank you, Lord, for making yourself known to us uh, through your word, through your spirit, and above all, in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask you to bless this time together as we uh, study your word and think about this part of the prayer that uh, he has taught us. Um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so doing a one-off is a little bit challenging, in a sense, because you want it to sort of go with the flow of the course, and yet I'm not sure exactly where Mike is going after this. I mean, I have a general idea. Um, and so... What I decided to do, and this is a little bit of a personal sharing with you, um, <clears throat> is talk about one of the things that has really come to mind in the course of the previous series of lectures that uh, Mike has given. And it has to do with this key thought in his last handout, which was, um, this is just a copy from what he said in his handout, is Christ structures our relationships with himself and with others essentially in the same way, according to the principle of solidarity, what's true of one is true of all, captured in the simple phrase, as I, so you, with respect to your identity, as I am, so you are, with respect to your ethics, as I have treated you, so you treat others. So that's one thing we've been hearing a lot of lately. Another thing to keep in mind is a part of this course is how do we deal with others who think, look, act, speak differently than we ourselves. And the third impetus for what I'm teaching today is a, a little bit of a personal background. And that is uh, I became a Christian mostly through Bible reading and went to a non-evangelical Episcopal church where I was baptized and confirmed. But the Book of Common Prayer has uh, individual prayers at the back. So even before I met, it's probably about three or four years before I met anybody from the evangelical world. I grew up basically in a Jewish area. Um, I was having my quiet time because I was following uh, you know, the prayers that were read prayers and free prayers from the back of the Book of Common Prayer. And of course, I was praying the Lord's Prayer kind of every day. 
just, you just kind of do that. Well, I got into evangelical circles at college, met up with people who had a different background than my own, and there you taught about, for your prayer life, ACTS. Remember what ACTS stands for? Okay, you've all had that teaching. Well, then I went on, and I had the teaching, well, you know, the Lord's Prayer isn't a prayer to be recited by rote, but it's a pattern for prayer. It's a model for prayer and a way to model our own prayers. So then in Acts, confession, that was basically, yeah, you got to confess your sins against God and neighbor to God. But when you get to the Lord's Prayer, he says... Uh, forgive us our debts. Okay, clearly we confess our debts as we forget our debtors. I said, there's got to be something more behind that because you can't just cut the phrase in half and say, forgive us our debts. It's one phrase. So that's kind of the impetus for what we're going to be looking at today. Okay? Uh, if you're using that as a pattern of prayer, what might God be asking us to pattern on the whole phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? So just as an aside, um, there's kind of three traditions. We always run into this at Hillhaven. We pray the Lord's Prayer every time. Uh, something that everybody can pray together, something that they know. And... Um, of course, you get to that phrase, forgive us our debts, and then some people have to say trespasses. Um, I always slow down there so people can get it out as we forgive our debtors. So it happens every time. And basically, why are there kind of these different traditions? If you look at the passage from Matthew, who can read Matthew 12? Well, Kaylee, I'm still around. Kaylee, why don't you read Matthew 6, 12 through 15? And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Oh, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So right there we see that in the text of Matthew, right after the Lord's Prayer, is a teaching where the word, those are two different words, debts and debtors, and then Jesus talks about trespasses. And in the original, one of the original translations of the English Bible by William Tyndale, he actually put trespasses up there um, for, in Forgive Us Our Trespasses. Um, although it is a different word, because he was working from the following and sort of said, well, it must be kind of equivalent. So that's how that tradition started. Debtors is a more precise word. Um, but in the parallel version, in Luke 11 through 4, uh, Rock, do you want to read that? Sure. And forgive us our sins, for we forgive, we, are so we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not in temptation. Okay, so a lot of 
not a lot, but some of the some churches have say, "Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us." Uh, for that, so that's where they're, they're all biblical traditions, as we can see here. And I'm not going to. This is just kind of an aside to the for the for the for the teaching. But you can see that debts, trespasses, sins. Don't get a handout. Sure. Um, kind of the same, very, very similar meaning. Anyway, um, going with the theme, as I have treated you, so treat others. Um, what is the biggest work of, of Christ? I mean, summarized just uh, here in. Uh, Matthew 26. Um, Bob, can you read that? He took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for me for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus' great work, right, is shedding his blood on the cross, being the atoning sacrifice for our sins, through the forgiveness of the sins, and giving us his righteousness, we're reconciled to God, and we have our life in God. Now, <clears throat> what is our response to that? We, we know this um, parable well, but let's, let's, let's read this again. I'll read it. It's a long one. Matthew 18. <clears throat> then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. A talent was a monetary unit worth about twenty years' wages for a laborer. That's what the footnote says. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. <clears throat> so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you 
if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <coughs> what's, what's your takeaway from what's going on there in that parable, that story? For what? Why? On what grounds? Right, so, so as God has treated us, so we are to do others. And two warnings uh, in that. Shirley, can you read Matthew 6? For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will you forgive others. Wow. <laughs> Those are pretty hard <laughs> words. What about uh, Jan, Mark 11? Jesus Christ if the prayer he taught his disciples was to contain you know this not just ask God to forgive you for sins but that there's two things going on there let's look at some examples of this type of forgiveness um, Judy so Jesus on the cross from Luke 
of Paul's teaching in Colossians 3. So we see that echoed, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. But the phrase before that, who has to complain against who? In 13. Ephesians 4, so I took Ephesians 4, 1, 2, and then 4, 32, 5 through 2. Kaylin, can you read, please? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be kind to one another. Colossians passage, um, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's just the expectation. But again in 4.2, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of, of peace. So it sounds like mutual forgiveness among believers was just to be the norm there. And James, too, um, he uses a different wording, but it's the same idea, I believe. Uh, Rock, could you read James from James, too? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown mercy. Uh, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is good? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
can that faith save them? Okay, and then there's, again, more examples that James goes on to give. But I read that, um, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Is echoing the same teaching? If you show mercy to others, mercy is shown to you. Or you receive mercy, so show mercy and forgiveness to, to others. And then uh, mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that what the cross is all about? Mercy triumphing over judgment? James is saying this should characterize your relationships among believers as well, a triumph of mercy over, over judgment. So then we come to this issue, so then, does forgiveness become a work? Do I earn forgiveness by forgiving others? Well, one passage uh, just to share about that is uh, Jesus teaching to his followers in Luke 6. Uh, Bob, can you read those verses from Luke 6? So this is taken from the, sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Plain, but it's sort of echoing the Sermon on the Mount, some of those teachings, because the, the context of Luke is, is, a, is a, not on the Mount. Um, but again, this echoing Jesus' teaching there, be merciful even as your Father is merciful, forgiven you will be forgiven. One thing when we are faced with the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount is we know how fall, we fall short of that. It teaches us, you know, in our own heart that we need to turn. If this is what God's expectation is, be holy as I am holy, therefore be perfect when you fall short. And yet as followers of Christ, it seems to be where he wants to bring us to. That these things uh, should be evident in our lives of followers of Christ, that that should be um, there. One thing that I've pondered a whole lot about in this is the next um, passage. I'll read it, it's pretty long. You're all familiar with this, but just want to talk about it in this context of 
this part of the Lord's Prayer, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, before you turn the page, then, in the context of this discussion, forgive us our, our debts as we forgive our debtors. What, what do you, what's going on here? What's the teaching of this story? What's the comparison that uh, in the story that he tells? Him so extravagantly because of her faith. 
what do you, just a second, what do you think her faith was in? It says, your faith has saved you. So what, what, what do you think characterized her faith? What was her faith? In Christ. Okay, in Jesus. And do you think she may have understood something about what Jesus was going to do for her? Or had done for her? Or would do for her? It seems like that. So something that generated a tremendous amount of love and humility <coughs> in her heart. Right? Yeah, maybe she'd seen his Mercy demonstrated in healing people, become how much she loved him, being healed by Jesus. She had some knowledge of him, who he was. Well, what about knowledge of who she was? Yeah, she probably knew herself, too. But she didn't come and ask for forgiveness. She just came in. Right, showing up. And he doesn't say uh, her sins, which were many, are forgiven because she forgave somebody else. To uptimize. But are those the same? Can you reword your question a little bit? Well, based upon these other things here, if if this, uh, you know, Forgiveness is, is a work that gets you forgiveness. Then you think this point here would be her sins are forgiven because she's forgiven somebody else. But he doesn't say that. He says her sins are forgiven because she's loved me much. It, it's interesting that he gives the same parable about the money lender and two debtors, one which was a little and one which was huge. Right? It's the same parable, but he goes. He, Conjecture is 
you know, that Mayish woman really did understand more about the ministry that Christ was going to die for her. You know, I don't know. <laughs> there. But somehow that that's all tied in that Christ's work was to forgive her sins. You know, and she wasn't going to argue, oh no, my sins aren't many, I'm just here showing you some love. You know, he said, your faith has saved you. Uh, there. And then Jesus clearly says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, I know they're many. He just said, I, I, you don't remember Simon was thinking in his heart, you were really prophet. I, I know everything. I know they're many. The grace is she knows there are many too. And she acts on that. She acts on that. So let's keep that in mind a little bit. So what do our standards teach? <clears throat> so I was getting worried about am I going too far, you know, how do they treat this does it look like a, a work? So first, where are we up to? Who's reading? Okay, surely. This is um, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And this is, the question is, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, freely pardon all our sins, which we are rather encouraged to ask, because by his grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. What's your takeaway from that teaching? What does what do what does the short catechism seem to be teaching about whether this is a work or not? It's not a work. I mean it's we could give others in response to the forgiveness that we've received. We love others in response to the love that we've received from Christ. I mean we're we're unable to do that without his the power of his spirit. It also says that, yes, this is God's grace working in our hearts, which has enabled us to forgive others. But that's sort of what emboldens us to also seek mercy from God. The two seem to be inseparable. But I, I like the way it says, because by His grace, What is the sign of His grace working in us? In there? <laughs> Being able to forgive from the heart is a sign of His grace at work in us. And therefore we can have confidence, that seems to say to me here, and it says, by which we are rather, which we are rather encouraged to ask. Uh, we can be emboldened to ask for our forgiveness, but it's grace working out. The two things are inseparable, it seems to me. It's the grace working in our hearts, and that gives us a confidence. And if you look at the larger catechism, it seems to even focus more on a comfort or assurance. Um, so, uh, Jan, the larger catechism, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? 
Therefore, it's, it's not a requirement by which we get grace, but if we're not seeing forgiveness, we've got to ask the question there, you know, have you been forgiven yourself? Great, that's the conclusion here. Rock, that's the conclusion. So the gift of God's grace that underlies our faith in our being forgiven by God through Christ's work in us, which is invisible. If I say, I know I've been forgiven by God, and you say, prove it. <laughs> um, is the same grace that enables our ability to forgive others, which is visible. And the warning is, if you don't have the one, you may be skating on thin ice about the other. I mean, that is, seems to be, you know, the teaching. The two go hand in hand. Is that is a comfort, not as a not as a work, because it's all by grace. Um, but just as, you know, that, that our faith in the forgiveness that God has for us in His Son Jesus Christ is made real by our showing forgiveness to others. So, how do I now use this petition as a pattern? Um, so, I go through the Lord's Prayer and I stop after each petition and I meditate on it. And so for this petition, clearly, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I confess my sins against God and neighbor. But I've begun to also meditate on areas where I may not be forgiving of others whether fellow Christians, neighbor, or enemies. There's no distinction in Christ's teaching. And also other areas where my actions may be belie my faith. So I take some time to meditate 
on that. And then I, I confess those sins to God, and, and sometimes it's brutally harsh. Um, I ask for wisdom to determine what needs to be done to connect the, the faith and the action. And um, I pray for grace uh, to be able uh, to do it. So, this is a little bit of... Shouldn't be a line there, thanksgiving to God for his mercy to us? I mean, we pray and confess, but there are other things. There ought to be sort of a, a joy and love and expectation. All, all right, these are all sort of mixed together in here, right? So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm deficient in, in, in that. I think it is in my full prayer. I'm not really trying to criticize you. But I'm just trying to say is, is I can't pray this petition without thinking about the whole thing. I can't just say, now it's time for me to confess to God my sins. I can't get away with that. And sometimes it takes a lot of meditating on, you know, what are my actions and what have I been doing, what have I been saying. Where do I have to apologize to somebody? Where do I have to make good something? Um, or where I said the right thing, but my heart wasn't there. <laughs> you know, and then confess that and ask for grace to do that. And so, again, this is our identity, what we learned reviewed last week. It's not a work. It's because we have been forgiven Then the imperative we are to forgive others, and as I've treated you, so you treat others. It's inseparable, you know, and just that Jesus put that in his teaching on prayer, right there. So I, I mean, is it too far out there to say that if you are, if your heart fully embraces how humble we are in the presence of a glorious, loving God, forgiving one another is an act of worship, another act of worship, because it's not a work, it's just realizing how much I've been forgiven, so do to others as God has done to me, and it's an act of worship to give God the glory. I, I would agree, just as I have thankfulness and <laughs> Um, definitely, because what is their primary purpose? <coughs> and if we are not to hold in that forgiveness we received, but to give it back because of God's grace at work in our lives, that makes sense to me. Any other final comments? We didn't really draw a lot on this, but you pointed it out. I mean, sometimes it's hard enough when someone comes asking for asking for forgiveness. You know, to sort of get to the point to sort of yes, I'll let go of that and turn that, you know, right, you know, reflect on my own condition and what God's mercy on me. Yes, of course, but you know, for folks who don't come asking, there's dirty rats. Reflection.
question that sort of drives us to our knees and and because um, you know, it, it's when you know for forgiving those from whom we received injury when they express no sorrow about it. It's, well, for me, that's how the question is. Do I want God to forgive me all my sins or only the ones that I confess? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I put it in that category. Yeah, because we can be so clueless as to other And other people are can be dealing with us totally clueless too. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't know that they're what what they said hurt us. They don't know the injury they caused us. Uh, but there is something. Right? I mean, there's some, there is some yeah. injury. No, no, but right. intentional and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, they're not exempt. Yeah, but. That, that's true. But I'm talking about the um, hurts that we might carry that nobody's ever going to come and ask us for forgiveness because they're clueless. Well, because it doesn't have the same meaning to them as it does to us. I mean, because they don't value whatever the thing was that they took from us or hurt us with. And we're instructed not to feel like it is. That's something that's a burden that we continue to carry. You know, we're exhorted to be able to talk to that person about it, right? If, you know, if it's feasible, appropriate. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. But but there will also be, you know, in going and talking to that person, there will be the person who just doesn't think he did anything wrong. I mean, yeah. you know, he doesn't see, I don't need to apologize to you, I didn't do anything wrong. It's your fault. Why would you be offended at that? <laughs> or there may be misunderstandings, too, that need to be talked about. Yeah. Because I, I didn't need for you to think of that way at all. Yeah, that's not what I meant at all. So I need to talk. Anyway, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son Jesus Christ. We thank you for the season of Advent where we celebrate that God became man, that we may be reconciled with you, with our sins forgiven, wearing Christ's righteousness. And yet, Lord, you encourage us, embolden us to show that we believe that that is true by extending that same forgiveness to others. We ask, Lord, that you may grant us the grace to know the depth of the, our sins for which we've been forgiven and the grace to extend that forgiveness to others that you may be worshipped and glorified um, through all that we think, do, and say. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.